This is one of those lessons, and I know every teacher feels this way this semester, of, oh my goodness, it's like getting one of those uh, baskets on Chopped, the TV show, and you have 30 minutes. And you're like, I, there's so much I could do with this filet of fish from Canada, but I only have 30 minutes. And that's how I feel with this chapter because I've taught a whole semester on the Ten Commandments before. And to, to just glibly just go by them, I'm like, what? So um, anyway, I just feel like this is so frustrating for me as a teacher. And if you walk away from this lesson um, or from this study this morning, curious, I think we've won. We've won the morning because there's no way what we're talking about today is a, is a lot is, is challenging about it. And I feel very hamstrung as a human being that I cannot say it the way I want to say it. But that's why God wrote the word because the Holy Spirit is going to tell it to you just like you need to hear it. But I just, I just um, feel frustrated coming into this morning. But anyway, that's my disclaimer. Let's get to it before we waste more time on how I feel insecure. <laughs> um, when my husband is named Lee, and when we were dating, I have to say, I was younger than he was, and I loved labels. I like labels. I like to understand what's going on. And when we were dating, a friend of mine said, um, uh, someone, so and so wants to ask you out. Are you and Lee dating? And I was like, I don't know. Are we? Are we exclusive? Okay, just, just to make sure he had told me he loved me. We were only going out with each other. But we, he didn't like labels. He didn't want to say, this is my girlfriend, I'm her, you know. And so we had not really, to me, had the DTR, define the relationship talk. Um, spoiler alert, we got married, but it was not a high point in our dating life because he got really upset that I even had to ask. <laughs> so, but that's what we're going to talk about now because now that God has brought out Israel from Egypt, we're about three months from that day in this part of the lesson in Exodus 19. Um, it's been about three months. And now that the dust is settling, he parks them on kind of the foothills of Mount Sinai, which is the mountain where Moses saw the burning bush. And it's kind of this flat kind of late, uh, area kind of around the mountain. And everybody just sits down and God has a DTR with his people. He wants to define the relationship. This is almost like a recreation moment um, of, okay, like with Adam and Eve, he set them up in the garden and said, okay, here's, here are the rules for living with me. Don't eat of that tree, everything else you can have. It, it feels kind of the same of, of, okay, let's talk about what it's like to live together. And we'll see in a few weeks, whenever the infamous golden calf story happens, that there's also another kind of fall, epic fall. But anyway, we're not going to talk about the golden calf today. But for now, we're going to see how God defines the relationship. This, what does covenant life look like between God and his people? We're also going to look at the law. And is the law loving? Because I think a lot of us struggle with what does God mean by the law in New Testament now, nowadays. And also that it's the same. The, the law is still in effect. It's just it's a little confusing. And we're going to talk about that too. So hold on. Here we go. 
Let's talk about, you have your handouts. I have the map that Lisa had last week because I love seeing a map, get my bearings. They have come all the way down to this little Mount Sinai. That's where they are. And on the back, you can see kind of the outline of what we're, where we're going with the talk, okay? So first, God's DTR. He defines the relationship. In chapter 19, one through three, if you can turn there and just kind of follow along, uh, we see how God rescued them for a relationship. He did not rescue them just to say, I just saved a bunch of people out of Egypt and, you know, yay me, I'm going to the beach now. He saved them to live with him, just like he created Adam and Eve to live with him, to, to walk in the cool of the day. And in verses 1 through 3, we see a great summary. If you want to define covenant, this is it. And, he, and God summarizes his faithfulness. I brought you out on eagle's wings, you know, and their covenant responsibility. You will obey and hear my voice. So this is what, this is kind of a summary of what covenant life is. God rescues you, and here's what life with him will look like. And here's what you do, because you're already saved. You're already rescued from the bondage of Egypt. Um, will you, And he asked them, we, like, basically, here's what it is. Do you want it? And they go, yes, in verse 8. If I can see right in verse 8, they go, yes, we want to be in this relationship. And so then God says, okay, start bathing. Start washing your clothes. No sex. And don't touch this mountain because we're about to meet. We're about to talk about what this covenant, what, when I say I want you to hear my voice and obey me, don't you think they would want to know what that is? And he's like, we're gonna, I'm going to tell you. And this is where it is a challenge to how a lot of our culture sees God. Because in this, we see God is very holy. They had to like do things to even to be near him. Um, they, they, they had to wait until it was time and they heard the trumpet call to come. And if they touched the mountain, even an animal, that animal or person would die. If you see God talking to Moses during this time, God is very concerned that they don't get near the mountain. He doesn't want them to die. But his holiness is, is just is who he is. They would die if they touched the mountain. And so Moses brings the people out of camp. After three days, it's time. And they are there. And by this point, the mountain it's got like cloud and fire and there's thunder and lightning and the ground is shaking and it's scary. It's scary because he's so holy. And I think we forget sometimes that, that God is God. And sometimes when I think about all the people that I see on the news or here on Facebook or whatever, going, you know, I don't like this, blah, blah, blah. I want to go, oh, honey, are you going to say that when he comes like that? Because I'd be like dropping my sign fast, you know, like, are you going to defend gossiping about your neighbor when God's a smoking mountain shaking the ground under you? You'd be like, oh, no, I've screwed up. I mean, this puts it in perspective of God is God. But then he talks to them. And what he says directly to the people as they are listening from this smoking, fiery, shaky mountain experience is the Ten Commandments. 
and I like to call them the Big Ten. And it's a, almost like a treaty-like structure back in that day. We're not making treaties with kings a lot in our everyday lives, but, um, but this has the structure of, of like a vassal to, I hope I say this right, a suzerain king. That uh, a king would say, I am going to protect you, guide you, provide for you. You are my vassal. You will serve me. Here's what that looks like. It's very much set up like that because even though it's not uh, a Ten Commandment, it is a, there's a preamble of, I am the God. I am the God who brought you out of Israel, uh, Egypt. So it's a, here's who God is and here's that history we have. And then he has these ten words. And they are the ways that they are to live in relationship with him. First of all, they mirror his character. And I just want to just run through, uh, just the, usually we think of the Ten Commandments as, here's what I got to do, here's what I can't do. But I want to flip that a little bit, and I want you to, at some point, go back and read the Ten Commandments with this in mind. How does this commandment tell me about God? Because in the first one, we learned that God is a jealous God, and he claims he deserves the only worship we can give, and he's a unique sovereign. We find that out from that first commandment. The second commandment, we find out he's a judge who is very particular about how he wants to be worshipped. And he doesn't want a creature to be worshipped over the creator. This impacts how we worship today even. And that we don't just get to worship any willy-nilly way we think is a great idea. But we look at how God has said, no, this is how I want to be worshipped. Because he actually is the worshipee. <laughs> the third one shows that God expects honor and obedience and he deserves respect the fourth one tells us that he's the boss over your daytimer he's a god of work and rest he's he has a rhythm he has set up a rhythm the fifth commandment talks about how he is has authority and he sets up structures of authority and this provides for us the sixth commandment talks about how he's a giver of life and determines life and we don't get to do that He's the Lord over even death. The seventh commandment shows us that God is a pure God, a faithful God, and expects us to keep our promises to one another. The eighth commandment, he's a creator and provider that decides what we need and what we don't have a right to decide for ourselves. That he gives us what we need. And the ninth, that God is true in all he says, does, and is, and expects us to be the same. And then by uh, the Tenth Commandment, we know that God is trustworthy and that he provides well for us. So to summarize, the first four tell us how to love God by obeying him. And the last six talk about how to love others by obeying him. So just learning about God's character through the Ten Commandments is, is, is something we don't usually do. We only see these as a bunch of rules. But if I gave rules to my family, they would be reflective of what I cared about. I really don't, like my kids when they were little, you know, I cared about, you know, thing. I wanted them to learn how to pick up their rooms and be orderly. Like, that did not work, by the way. <laughs> but I tried. It it, you could tell, even if it worked or not, I cared about it, okay? Um, the rules of maybe, hey, before TV, I want you to read your Bible. It showed what I cared about. Um, when you see the Ten Commandments, do you see what God cares about? 
Do you see that he loves life? And do you see that he loves that you're content with what he's given you? And do you see that he is so trustworthy and he keeps his promises? So we learn that we see his character. These laws also protect us. Just like a parent wants to protect their children and has rules for please don't go run in the street. Don't put your finger in that outlet. They also show them how to treat each other and to love him. And they're the basis, they're the core principles of what's going to come next in the next chapters after the Ten Commandments. And this is the big thing I want you to know. Order is important. This is the only religion that I know of that God loves the people first and then asks them to do something. All other religions, think about it. Go earn my favor. Go earn nirvana. Go earn this. Go hum a million years and maybe you'll have peace and value and you'll find your purpose. No, God is saying, I love you. I value you. You have purpose now as my people. I'm sending you into the world. Here's how it looks. And the order is super important for us today because if you look at the law today as I've got to do that to be loved and have value, you have missed the gospel that God gives us an exodus. Of The order is super important. We cannot earn this relationship. This relationship was already given to them and to us. So this is the other kicker that's a little hard because a lot of times when we get into the New Testament, we start hearing people go, oh, we don't need the law. The law is canceled. Or like, isn't that just an Old Testament God? I mean, the Smoky Mountain stuff and, and the law stuff. Isn't that just an Old Testament? And now we're free, right? And so we have to understand that's, what, that's what's coming in the rest of the reading for this week was a civil law case law that was based on the Ten Commandments. And so what happens is, of course, and we'll get to this in a little bit, this is so emotionally traumatizing for the people that they say, Moses, we cannot handle this. You've got to go talk to him one-on-one. -on -one. We'll just wait here. And so Moses goes and gets more law that is based on the Ten Commandments. It's a code of conduct that basically was called the Book of the Covenant, and in chapters 20 through 23, you see this. So in 20, 22 through 26, it talks about worship, idols, and altars. Then the next 21 to early 22, 17 talks about social responsibility. 22, 18 through 23, 19 talks about worship and social responsibility. And so basically, these were the stoplight laws. Okay? These were the laws of, okay, here's what it's going to look like. We're in a desert with a bunch of people. We need to have some rules. And it that's why they're like, what are they talking about? Mildew and how to, if your animal kills another animal. But you can see the benefit of having this spelled out, right? That God himself says, based on this law of not stealing, of being content, of not lying, of worshiping me only, I'm going to spell that out into laws that actually are appropriate for where you are right now. Okay? So then we'll see, I think next week, are the ceremonial laws, which have to do with the tabernacle and worship. So he's fleshing out, when I say worship me and me only in the first commandment, what if you had to figure out what that looked like? You'd be scared to death after seeing that smoky mountain, okay? 
And so what he does is he says, okay, this is, this is what it looks like for me to live with you. I want you to build me a tent. And this is how the priest has to dress. And, this, and it's just, we look at it in our modern days going, this is so weird. Well, it was a lot of trouble. But also, it's very loving for God to spell it out for them. Now, what's also interesting is if you see this, there's a triad. And it always has this on this triangle, worship, redemption, and law. Those are connected, okay? You never have law, just law. It's always connected to worship and to this redemption. Um, just to quote um, the commentary I studied for this, the book of the covenant is never separated from worship and redemption. The whole reason they were rescued from Egyptians was that so they may worship me. Remember, the whole point in getting rescued was what? Just to be free to do whatever you want? No, it was now you're my slave. Now you're my vassal. Now you serve me. Now you worship me. That's why I wanted you to get you out of Egypt. I want you to come live with me and worship me. I want to be with you. And the bottom line is, and this is also the same commentary, God is teaching them and us that he requires his people to behave properly towards him and each other. So this was never seen as a burden. It was seen as, oh, information. Oh, this is what God wants us to do. Now, what's going to happen is in the New Testament. By the time you get to the New Testament, they talk about the law being obsolete. Remember the three, the moral, the Ten Commandments, the civil, you know, if you're at, your ox kills my ox, we got to talk. And then the ceremonial, I mean, the ceremonial, which is the tent, the worship, the sacrifices. Okay, when the Jesus comes, the veil is ripped. That, that law goes away. It's obsolete. And remember Hebrews? After this whole Bible study, go read Hebrews again, and you're going to go, oh, my goodness. It's like electrifying. Then, by the time Jesus is on the scene, Romans are in charge. Israel's not a country, so the, they didn't need the civil laws anymore. What's left? The law that was written on stone. And we see Jesus do the Sermon on the Mount based on the same moral law. So the moral law is in effect. Okay, that is a long, long way to say how God did a DTR, right? But now I want to talk about this law. So what's love got to do with it? Because we look at the law and we're American and we're like, uh-uh, don't tread on me. I mean, I'm in Texas now. I got that big old cannonball that says come and take it. You know, I mean, this is not the mindset of us today, okay? But instead, the law is honestly a love gift. Just like when Lee and I had a DTR, it meant we were getting married. He didn't tell anybody else he loved him. He, that was so special to him. He didn't want to tell anybody else that he loved him. And he told me, I, sh I knew and I should have known, of course I'm not going to date anybody else. And so God, God is expressing in this, just the way he talks to them. Because he calls them to this, this idea of you are a treasured possession. You are a kingdom of priests. You are a holy nation. Okay, so what does treasured possession look like? Keeping the law is a good thing because it makes us feel like the special treasure we are. You know, it, 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 we get to mimic our lover. 
God. We, you know, when I uh, had been married to Lee a few months, my sister commented, I said something. She goes, that just sounds just like Lee Tyner said that. It's because I had been hanging out with him and I, I liked him. I wanted, I, I didn't mean to mimic him. I just absorbed his ways. And the more we are formed by obeying the law, the more we imitate God's character. And the law also protects this special treasure. The king's special possession was his favorite treasure. It was his special treasure. It was the one he protected the most. It was the most valuable thing he had. And so the law protects us from harm, from heartache, and from damage. And y'all can think about the ways that the law protects you and protects your children and your family and your office space. You can, you can imagine the illustrations that I don't have time to name of how we're protected if we listen to God and don't get out of the fence and get run over by a car. But we're also a kingdom of priests, which is kind of a weird idea. Like, what's that mean? And I actually think 1 Peter 2.9 really helps us with this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Hear all that similar language? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Priests were a go-between, between the people and God. And God is saying, you are my go-between between me and the world. Are you going out into the world? Are they looking at your character that mimics my character summarized in this Ten Commandments? Are you going between? Do they Are they even attracted to me because of you? But that's your purpose, is to show the marvelous light that is available. And thirdly, we are a holy nation. And holy does not mean, oh, they just made an A today. My people made an A plus. They're doing everything right. They got all pluses. No, it means we're more set apart for a task. And uh, I got that from Les Newsom. He has a quote on your handout. I got a lot of this part from his RUF sermon that thank goodness was still on my computer <laughs> from years ago. Um, but. This does not mean that we're supposed to be perfect. This, this is telling us, no, you're different and you're set apart and you're not supposed to look like everybody else because guess what? You're special. Okay, so if I happened, now this would never happen because one, I'm not athletic and two, I'm a girl and right now TCU does not have an integrated football team. <laughs> but I, if I were on the TCU football team, don't you know I'd be wearing my jersey on game day? Don't you know I would be loving some purple? Don't you know that... That, that if I want to be identified getting into the stadium as part of the team, I wear my purple jersey. And may, I have a purpose. I'm on the team. Now, what's uncomfortable about being a holy nation, it makes us stick out in this world because we are opposite. And you know what? That is very uncomfortable. I have to say that sometimes, if I can say what's the least favorite part about being a Christian, that would be it. Because it brings me back to junior high. And how all I wanted to do was blend in. I wanted to dress the way no one would say, what's she wearing today? I wanted to not make eye contact with the guy that might scare me in the hallway. Like, I was a really wimpy person in junior high. <laughs> so, that, that feeling. But the, the law identifies us and marks us as different. And it shows the world, again, the character of God because of 
I had one time, it was one of the highest compliments I got, and I, I only say this not to brag on myself because I didn't, I wouldn't do anything, but it just showed me even what you don't think you're doing matters. I had a new friend, I just moved from Virginia to Mississippi. I had a brand new friend that we just had kids together. She was new too. We were getting to know each other by just hanging out. Kids were playing, just normal young mom stuff. And, and she had some other friends and we were talking about this other party she had thrown with her other friend. And she looked at me and she goes, you know, you don't cuss. I just went, I hadn't really thought about it, but you know, okay. All of a sudden, I, I, I'm not seeing, I mean, hey, I cuss now more than I did then. <laughs> but, you know, I've had five kids, and, I mean, I work for a church. Goodness sakes, I cuss now, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but the point is salt and light. When Jesus is talking about salt and light, this is what it looks like. Is you're just obeying. You're not really doing it to be a witness. You're just doing it. It's doing it because it's mimicking God. And this terrible smoky mountain does not feel very lovey-dovey, does it? It doesn't feel like, oh, we had a DTR, now we're snuggling in the car, smooching. No, this does not feel very lovey-dovey. But this is the same God who fiercely took them out of Egypt. That you want to know how strong he is and how mad he is about his people? Remember the floating Egyptians last week. And he said, they are never going to bother you again. So he loves fiercely. And that's why I put that quote from C.S. Lewis when the kids in the first Narnia book, they're finding out about this Aslan guy. And they're like, Aslan is a lion, the great lion, the beaver says. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel really nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that is a great picture of God to us. No, he's not safe. He's powerful. He's holy. But he's good, and guess what? He loves you. He loves you. And this is the thing the law does. When we look at it and go, but I do cuss, and I have had an affair. Matter of fact, I'm thinking about having one to tomorrow. I mean, all the things where we feel our shortcomings, our temper, our coveting, our, yeah, I don't really want to go to church anymore. Whatever it is for you that makes you go, oh, do what they did. Do what they did. Go to Moses, their mediator, and say, will you please talk to him for us? But today, our mediator is Jesus. The law drives us to Jesus. So lastly... I want to ask you, which mountain do you go to? I'm going to read Hebrews 12, 18 through 28. And I love how Hebrews summarizes this whole tension. Verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may, that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as at least a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, 
to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So are you a citizen of Mount Sinai where you should be scared? Or are you a member of Mount Zion where Jesus has paved the way that Jesus is your mediator and that mountain doesn't say stay away. You can't come here because you'll die. It says come to me. Come. Your names are written in the book. And this is free living. Um, sometimes we think, does the, is the law over? Do we really need it anymore? After all, if Jesus paid it all, he fulfilled it, right? Aren't there a lot of New Testament verses that sound legalistic? Well, if you go back to the three L's, remember the people that Jesus got so mad at were the Pharisees and the church leaders the, or synagogue leaders or whatever because they were putting these little L's, the ceremonial law, they were putting that out of order. They said, you got to do this. You've got to obey all these laws. You've got to do the moral law and then God will let you be in. They didn't like other people. You had to be an Israelite to have this God. They, they switched the order. No wonder God got so mad. If your teacher of your second grader told your daughter that your mommy doesn't love you because you failed the math test, how much would you turn over some tables? I mean, that's just bad. Of course not. And that's why the laws that are obsolete, no, we don't need to worry about that. But also don't put the moral law out of order. Galatians 5.1 says, Paul, it's for us to stand in liberty that Christ made us free, free to live. But would Jesus free you to live in accordance with the Ten Commandments? Or would he say, I freed you to chunk them. You don't have to look like our Father. You don't have to mimic us. I freed you. That doesn't make any sense. Lord Jesus freed you so you're not bound by sin anymore, but you're free to obey and free to live. And actually the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7 is another code of conduct for this new kingdom that is totally based on the Ten Commandments. Except it's worse than washing your laundry. It's in your heart. Are you mad? You've killed someone. And he really brings out again wow we need a mediator we need a mediator so to wrap it up are you acting like you're in love with your rescuer or is he the only one in love in the relationship you have with him it's sort of obvious when your friend falls out of love with her spouse right or her boyfriend or you kind of see her kind of talking bad about him behind his back or not hanging out, not doing the same things, maybe just not being kind to him anymore. Do you enjoy the status of being a treasured possession? Do you feel special to God? And how does your obedience increase your enjoyment of him? So maybe you're feeling a little down right now. Maybe we're like, oh, great. Don't. This is the one thing, and I'm going to close with this. If somebody feels shame or despair after looking and listening to the law, don't turn your back on the law. Grab it. Look at it in the face and say, you were my tutor. Galatians 3 says, you're my tutor. Send me to my redeemer. Send me to the rescuer. Because that's the job of the law. 
The law says, no, of course you can't be perfect. Who told you you could be? But Jesus is, and Jesus beckons you to live, not on Mount Sinai, where you have to be scared and work really hard and say, somebody else, please talk to me, but in the foothills of Mount Zion, where he says, come to me. My burden is easy. I love you, and I have paid, and I've given you all the obedience you need. Let's pray. Lord, these are huge truths, and it's hard to comprehend, and I feel like it's just a gush of a fire, fire hydrant water. And so I pray that these women in their small groups would be able just to mull some of this over, and to even as they go home, to think to themselves, do I love the law because it represents my relationship with Jesus and what he freed me to do, or I'm scared of my Savior and I'm out of love with him. Give us love for you. Give us an enjoyment like the writer Psalm 119 where we just love to meditate and we, we think it's the best thing since sliced bread because it came from you and it helps us live in enjoyment of you. And I pray that and you will protect us too um, from the evil one talking us out of this. In Christ's name, amen.